energized about the prospect of doing research that actually is going to have a really direct impact. Hey guys, welcome back to Floral Couch Conversations. I'm Emily. And I'm Melissa. And we have another exciting guest we're talking to today on the virtual floral couch because we're all quarantined. <laughs> Stay home. Um, we have our friend Angie. So welcome, Angie. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the floral couch. We were all just talking about how the coronavirus has impacted our various careers and it's crazy to think about how it like impacts different industries in in like ways that you don't think about yeah like schools and like i feel like everyone's talking about schools being closed and um restaurants and that kind of stuff but um no, I'm totally blanking what we were talking about yesterday, Alyssa. Um, earlier today, but it's been a long day. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I just didn't even put together, like, police officers and, like, doctors. Like, mm-hmm. police officers, you'd think they always have to work, which they do. But, like, if it's not an emergency, they're not, like, going to every call, like, non-emergency call because of social distancing, which is just something I never even, like, contemplated. <laughs> Yeah, I was listening to a podcast, I think last night, and they were talking about like how, what that means for like domestic violence calls and stuff like that, like having to like put on a robe and all that stuff. And like, how does that impact your ability to respond appropriately to the situation and things like that? It's, it's crazy to think about really. Mm -hmm. And that's like scary because they, if they can't respond to those calls or like sometimes if like depending on what they deem emergency or not it's right unfortunate for other people so right <sighs> crazy well, times <laughs> that's all that's all i think that's all we should talk about yep for. <laughs> even though it infiltrates every conversation these days we aim to bring joy to people's lives so <laughs> let's do it <laughs> so Angie, we, most of the time our guests, um, we just like to talk about your career journey and how you got to where you are and what you're doing and like different choices you made along the way. Um, Because I think everyone just has like a super interesting story. Um, So we'll, we'll start off with your journey of how you picked a college and how you kind of decided on your career path. Mm -hmm. Okay. Should I just start talking? (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I guess how I picked a college, I didn't really, I didn't even visit a lot of colleges, but I had a few specific criteria that I was looking for. Um, I had always gone to a Catholic school and that was really a big part of my upbringing. And I was really into all of that at the time. So um I really wanted a private Christian school. That was one of my criterion. And then I also really wanted to um, be more than an hour away from home, but close enough that I could visit my family on a weekend if possible. So that kind of narrowed down my search just based off of those few things. And then I visited maybe three or four schools and I just, I really liked the vibe of St. Thomas. 
um, I felt like it had a really good balance between like fun, but then, um, you know, some academic rigor without feeling too like showy or grand about that. Um, so it just felt right to me. So I went for it. What other schools did you look at? Do you remember? So I know I had looked at Creighton because that's only about two hours away from home for, for me. Um, and then I visited a few schools in Kansas and I think that's, oh, I went to, um, I visited St. Ben's too. That felt a little too remote. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much it for what I visited. So yeah, I didn't explore all that much, but I just, I don't know, felt right. I always like to ask that because I feel like some people are like well I looked at these few schools that were all in the same area and there's some people are like like we were just talking to our from Brandon our last guest and he said he looked at 11 schools which wow. is a lot and I think I applied to seven so I applied to wow. three and I picked St. Thomas without ever visiting so <laughs> <laughs> wow just like I'll have to go right. back and listen I'll have to go back and listen to to uh, Brandon's um, episode because I'm curious how he how did he land on St. Thomas from California? Mm. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you picked St. Thomas, and then when you started, did you know immediately kind of how what you wanted to do, major in that kind of thing? Not at all. Um, I. New, well, so I originally was a little bit interested in chemistry, but I didn't really want to commit to that. And then I was like, maybe I'll be an art major, which didn't really make sense because St. Thomas doesn't have a studio arts program. Um, And so I was just kind of exploring. And then mm, during my second semester, I took my first psychology class and I just like was addicted. Like I was like, I can't read enough. I can't get enough of this. Like I just am so fascinated by psychology. So, um, yeah, then I was kind of like, well, what do I want to do with that? And then I kind of explored a lot of different things from there. I job shadowed an art therapist cause I was still kind of into the art idea. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll be a writer. And then, yeah. And then I think I, I had explored doing research with a few different faculty over the years and that kind of got me um more and more interested in kind of an academic career but I definitely did not right out of the gate know I wanted to do psychology I actually kind of resisted it for a while because I was like "Ooh, I don't know that I want to do that and I don't know that I want to go to grad school and like what am I going to do and then I kind of was just like well if I don't do psychology what will I do and then so I just like accepted that (laughs) that that was a route that seemed to be good for me so yeah. <laughs> Emily, I feel like you always have so many parallels to our guests. Like, I feel like you were always super excited about your psychology classes as well. I was, but but I think the difference is that I didn't know anything about it or that or what I could do with it. Like, I just knew, like, I kind of knew about therapy and I was friends with our friend Camille, who we've had on the podcast if and I knew that that was her passion and her path and I'm like oh I could see myself doing that but I like had no visibility into like what grad school was or was like 
because like my parents never went to grad school. I didn't know anyone who was in grad school. And so I was, and I was kind of just encouraged to like finish college and get out and get a job. And I, um, like feel like if I would have gone back, I maybe would have taken a different path, but never know. (laughs) Yeah. What was your major, Emily? I was communication and journalism and then I minored in psychology. Okay. So yeah, I took a bunch of psychology classes and always loved them, but like never like occurred to me that like I oh I should do this as a career until a few years ago. So gotcha. <laughs> okay, so you graduated um, with a psychology major then? Yes. And so did you yeah, know? Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. And then did you? How did you decide on like your path for grad school? Um. So over time I had gotten interested in research um I think probably in my sophomore year I started doing research with a professor in the psych department and I was doing work on um studying college students moral behaviors and their you know voting and civic engagement and things like that and I thought that was really interesting but I was like yeah I don't know um but then at the same time I was working at the child development center and watching kids grow up and seeing how the way that they're cared for really impacts their social skills and their development in that regard, like really fascinated me. So it was kind of over time that I started realizing that I had some research interests in um, like early development. And then it was actually what kind of sealed the deal for me was going on a vision trip to India. Our junior year and seeing how different that the upbringing is for children in India in the specific area that I was in compared to this like very idealized child development center at St. Thomas upbringing Um, and then I was just like I I got really motivated to study social social development and emotional development and things like that Um, and then kind of from there, I was like, well, I guess I'm not really that interested in doing therapy. So grad school it is. (laughs) So yeah, I feel like things just like kind of happened by default. I'm like, well, I don't know. I guess I'm going to do this. (laughs) For those that don't know, can you kind of talk about what vision is? What? Yeah. So I'm trying to remember what the acronym stands for. Oh, I didn't even know it was an acronym. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't either. (laughs) I think it stands for volunteers oh I don't remember it's a okay. service it's not on their website anymore volunteers in service internationally or nationally that might be what it stands for but yeah so it's a volunteer trip through the through the campus ministry office and um a group of students go with some chaperones and they go to various different places. We went to India, rural India, and usually there's some sort of volunteering work component to it. So for us, that was working in daycares. So we did a lot of like cleaning, we painted um, things like that in the daycares and then we also spent time actually with children in the daycares and that would be what we did during the day and then in the evenings after the older kids got out of school 
we would go and help them with their like English tutoring lessons. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, we did some sightseeing and things like that, but it was just kind of a really cool little community that we um, spent a month with. I think we were there almost a month and got to really in like a very respectful way observe another culture and yeah that was really cool for me and I think for many others that have gone on those trips. Very cool and it helped helped you figure out what you wanted to do so even even better. Yeah yeah it was it was really fun for me to kind of I don't know just observe how kids what how kids develop and how it's the same in in different cultures and then also how it's different. Mm -hmm. So did so from there did you decide to find a grad school program that was for child development? Yeah so for the way it worked for the type of program that I was interested in um, I don't know if this is true of all doctoral programs or all research focused programs but um, the path that I went for that was to figure out who was doing research that I was interested in. And then from there, you try to figure out, is that faculty member accepting graduate students? Do they have a grad program in developmental psychology or human development or some, you know, mm -hmm. something that flavored? Um, and then I, from there I applied to, I don't even know, I think maybe eight or nine schools I applied or programs I applied for, but um, the way it works, at least in developmental psychology, is that you apply specifically to work with a particular faculty member. Um, and then a lot of it is about how well your research interests match with what is going on with their lab. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That makes sense. It's just, it's kind of a hard process to figure that out. Like, I remember going into the library one day and doing a search on Psych Info or Google Scholar or something like that and being like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know who's like currently doing research and how do I even figure this out? But I, I figured it out, I guess. <laughs> it's right. And it's got to be intimidating to like have to reach out to these professors or, um, apply, yeah, apply to their different programs when, and I'm sure it's competitive too. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's like, the whole process is very intimidating and difficult mm -hmm. and expensive and um yeah do you have any but I made it <laughs> do you have any advice for someone who is in that situation or maybe coming up on that situation like navigating applying to grad school programs yeah so find somebody who has done it and can help you and walk you through the process um whether that's a current graduate student or faculty member or something like that, they can be very valuable in that search process. Um, and then just read. There's a lot of message boards and things like that about how to reach out to faculty to see if they're accepting students and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I would say find a mentor that is invested in your success that, um, that you can bounce ideas off of and can help you with your materials and things like that. That's good advice that transfers across like most yeah. industries <laughs> and career paths too. So that's awesome. So you eventually 
chose a program and were accepted to a program. Can you talk about about where you went and what you did and what you what you researched? Yeah, so I ended up at University of Notre Dame in their psychology department, and I was in the specific, specifically in their developmental program. Um, and while I was there, I did coursework for the first couple years. Then I did a master's project and got my master's degree. And then I went on and did my doctoral degree there. And um, much of what I did there was research. So I was primarily, my biggest project that I worked on there was a longitudinal project where, you know, year after year, we were asking mothers about their family and about how they care for their child. And then as the kid grew older, we would have the child come to the lab and we would do different activities with the child to try to understand how they're developing socially and emotionally and things like that. So that was kind of the biggest thing that I was working on there. My master's and my dissertation project both came from that, that big longitudinal study. Um, and mostly we were just interested in trying to figure out how, what things that parents do, the climate of their household, things like that, um, help kids develop well, socially and emotionally. So. Mm -hmm. Is there something yeah. from your research that you think people would find surprising, I guess, as a result? Hmm. Um, I think one of the hmm, surprising, I guess one thing that maybe is up for debate or, or some, some people um, may find surprising is that uh, the more that you care for your child, you respond to them when they're crying, even though it seems like, or there might be, there might be ideas that that's going to spoil the child. Um, it actually helps them become more independent and help them soothe, them soothe themselves as they get older. Um, and that was one of the big things that I was interested in understanding. So I found that as children were learning to manage, you know, big emotions, even when they're like eight months old, that skill kind of stuck with them and they were able to follow directions better and um, kind of control their behavior better as they got older when they were four and five years old. So it really starts early learning those skills at, of self-control and that is kids need their parents to teach them that. So I guess that's kind of the big takeaway after five years there. <laughs> Very cool. Listening to you talk about about researching that kind of stuff reminds me. So I just took a class. It was basically like a human development psychology class. Mm -hmm. um, and it went through like all the different age groups, like from birth to death. And it's kind of cool because it's like, oh, you were one of the people researching for textbooks and things like that. <laughs> My name's not in any textbooks. <laughs> I don't think it probably will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I teach out of textbooks, so, um, yeah. So, you went to grad school in a different state, so you, um, of where you grew up and went to college, and then mm -hmm. you eventually decided to come back here to Minnesota where you went to college. What, what was that like, kind of moving around after a few years and then coming back? Yeah, it was kind of difficult. It was really hard to be 
in grad school away from family and away from our friends. Um, it, grad school is a hard process. And what I've learned since I've been away from there is it's a really strange social environment as well because you're in this really intensive career phase and you're around the same 20 people that are in your program with you Mm -hmm. and you're with them for five years and you're in this really strange social bubble that can be really isolating and it's hard to kind of see the big picture of you know the other people and support that you have in your life um so that part of it was really difficult um I always wanted to move back to Minnesota um my husband was kind of like I don't know we'll go wherever we go um but as time went on it became really difficult for me to be away from family um even though my my family is still four hours away um it's much easier to see them compared to you know 10 12 hours away Mm -hmm. like we were before so um yeah it was it was it was difficult and then um for a while when we moved back I kind of thought you know people it, it felt like I had built it up in my mind that, okay, everything's going to be the same. All of our friends are there. And I was like, oh, like everybody moved on and like they have their own people now. And so it was, it was a weird adjustment then to be back to because you kind of have to like reemerge into social groups and things like that. Um, And I'm not the most like go getter. I'm a very, I'm very much of a homebody. So um, it can be easy to isolate myself sometimes as well. So yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting concept because like um, after college, I stuck around, but it was still an adjustment because like your friends don't all live within like a five block radius, right? So it's like oh. such an effort. And then I could only imagine that like that feeling was just delayed a few, like five years for you in grad school <laughs> of right. adjusting to that. Like your people are still there, but it's, yeah it's a lot more effort. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I think because it, I was gone for five years and I kept just thinking like, Oh, I'll be able to see my friends all the time and everything will be great. And we'll be hanging out with my family. And then when, when the reality hit after I had built this up for five years and the reality hit that like, Oh, I'm not going to see them. I'm not going to see everybody all the time. Um, it was just, yeah, it was weird, but, but I'm also really happy to be back. Um, and really great to be able to, you know, go on walks with friends six feet apart from each other um, <laughs> while we're all quarantined. <laughs> yeah, it's different, but you're still here and you still get to see them yeah. whenever whenever you want to and whenever you can. So, Yes, absolutely. So how did you decide to take a job at your uh, alma mater? Well, so I always knew that I wanted to work at a place like St. Thomas. I envisioned myself working in an environment that's very student-centered and has that kind of family feeling that I always associated with at least the psychology department at St. Thomas. Um, And that was kind of always in the back of my head. And then an opening came up um, that it would, it lined up where I would have had to finish my dissertation one semester early if I were to 
try to make that work. And I applied and went for it and it ended up working out. So it was always kind of in the back of my head, like, oh, I would love to work at St. Thomas. I would love to move back to Minnesota. Um, I'd love to work at a place like St. Thomas. And it just kind of worked out that they had that um, like year and a half position um, that it was able to be, you know, my supportive first after grad school job. Can you tell us what classes you were teaching? Yeah, so um, my first two semesters, I mostly taught development classes. So I taught infancy and childhood development and lifespan development. And then last semester, I taught uh, general psychology for the first time. And then this semester, I'm teaching general psychology and psychological testing, um, which has been a fun little challenge for me. What is it like being on the younger side of of professors? Like you're only a few years out of college. Well, like I think still a few, still a few years out of college. Yeah. Um, uh, is like, do you get people commenting on on that, or um, is it is it just kind of normal? It's it's kind of weird, and I think it's especially weird being in the same department that. I went to school in that I did my undergrad in um, because I've, I feel like I'm simultaneously feeling really old compared to the students, but then really young thinking that all of my colleagues are the same people who were my professors just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is this sort of weird balance. And I do think, um, especially when I was a grad student teaching, um, it did feel like sometimes students were trying to challenge my authority and things like that. Um, I don't get it as much now. I think students assume that I'm older than I am, <laughs> um, which is fine with me. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a difficult balance because in some aspects, students think that they can kind of get away with more things or say things that maybe are inappropriate because I'm young but then at the same time, it's a benefit because I can connect with them and they see me as someone that they can talk to and go to for help and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's benefits and drawbacks for sure. What's the hardest part of teaching? So I I guess as a professor, (laughs) would you say? Yeah. Well, at risk of being, somewhat negative there are some really difficult things about academia in general um the way that tenure and promotion works and things like that is really hard it's hard to get a job it's hard to get a tenure track job and stay with it um the pressure to publish is really big and that's not something that i'm all that interested in Um, so that makes it really difficult because I like to do research, but I want to do research that has like real world impacts and not just goes to a journal and then disappears and no one ever reads it. Um, so that I find really difficult to be motivated to do research. Um, but then as far as the teaching goes, I think the the most challenging part is, um, students that you want to help, but are not really interested in, in being helped they're not really interested in succeeding um and just kind of like letting them do their thing can be hard yeah that makes sense I guess more positive what's your favorite part (laughs) (laughs) 
my favorite part is getting to know students um, and just building a relationship with them. And then the really bonus favorite, favorite part is when a student starts out the beginning of the semester struggling and you can see them kind of turn it around and pull through and succeed and come out of things at the end of the semester being really proud of what they've done. That is the absolute best part. Sounds very rewarding. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've had a few people on who recently bought houses and I feel like that process is just kind of fun to talk about. So um, you just recently bought a house mm -hmm. after living with your in-laws. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. So can you talk about kind of your process for finding your house and moving and um, and even what it was like living with your in-laws? Sure. So um, I think I only had about four weeks notice or something around there between getting the job offer at St. Thomas and having to start the job. And I had to finish my dissertation, finish stuff up in the lab, get moved to a different state and start a job. And I had a lot of debt. We had no idea what we wanted to do. We really wanted to save for house. And so my in-laws said, okay, stay with us as long as you need and you can save and pay off your debts. And um, so we agreed. And then pretty quickly after that, I was thinking, okay, like, you know, we were done with the transition part and now let's like, you know, give your, to my husband, I was saying, let's give your parents back their space and, you know, we'll, we'll go figure this out and whatever. And my husband was like, absolutely not. We're in for the long haul. We're here until we buy a house. So, um, he's like, we're doing this, like we're here, we're doing it. So, um, we ended up living with them for almost a full year. I think it was about 11 months. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was challenges, of course, but it was incredible because, um, you know, it would have taken us a lot longer to buy a house mm -hmm. had we not had that help from them. So, um, you know, it was, it was an adjustment, you know, having to like figure out other people's schedules and lifestyles and things like that. But um, we made it work and, and we got where we, where we are now. Um, but yeah, as far as like the actual house search process and, and, and purchase and things like that, um, once I had finally convinced my husband that we were, had saved enough, we were ready to start looking. I think the first thing I did was start contacting some banks and, um, you know, just get things in order for that, see what they had to offer. And we decided on a bank. And then I had asked around for advice on a realtor and actually Alyssa had suggested the realtor that she used. Um, so we got in touch with her and we met with her on a Sunday. By the next weekend, we had, I think, 10 showings lined up. <laughs> and then we looked at 10 houses. We loved the first one that we went to. And then by the end of the second day, we went back and looked at that first house a second time. And then we decided that night we wanted to put an offer in. Um, and they accepted it and it went super smoothly and you know we had a little negotiation here and there and um but for the most part it went really well and i think it was maybe like five or six weeks from like when we first met with the realtor to the day that we moved in um so it was it it went much smoother than i think a lot of people 
have experienced. And when my husband and I were saying, he was like, how is this real? Like, this should be harder. I'm like, well, we did the hard part by like living with your parents for a year. We paid our dues. We did it. And now this part gets to be smooth. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard someone have a house buying story that was went that smoothly. <laughs> like the first house you looked at. That's insane. But yeah. Yeah. It was, I was shocked that I, I was like, is this real? Like, do you, are we really buying the first house we looked at? But yeah, we did. <laughs> and your house didn't get broken into after three days of living there. So it was like one month. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that happened too. Was time. that Alyssa? Did you, your house got broken into? Yeah. That's when I found out what, um, Actually, like in the first like six months, I found out what homeowner's insurance is for because my door got broken down. So I had to file a claim. And then I also got served papers because the people I bought a house from never paid their electrician for electrical work. So I also found out what title insurance is for. (laughs) So all those things you have to sign at closing, they're useful. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad I just, my, my, the, lady at the bank told us like you absolutely have to get title insurance because people will sometimes it's rare but pull a fast one on you and you want that so I used all those things that I was like why am I throwing money like I felt like I was hemorrhaging money but came in handy mm-hmm. <laughs> wow yeah yeah mm. okay well what do you think is next for you you said you're not wanting to publish um necessarily like a textbook what do you see as your next steps yeah so my current contract is actually up at the end of this semester so um I've kind of decided that I want to explore non-academic options so I've gotten really interested kind of over the last few years really about trying to use my expertise and use potentially my research skills for advocating for systemic change. Um, I'm not really sure what that's going to look like for me or how things are going to unfold, but I've been exploring um, government jobs, potentially nonprofit jobs, things like that, um, that I can use what I know about human development and what is good for kids and things like that. Um, and also my research skills for a potential career move. Um, yeah. So I seem potentially continuing to teach, you know, class or here as like an adjunct, but, um, kind of thinking about mostly non-academic. So kind of excited about that. That is exciting. And I feel like regardless of what you pick, if like your goal is systemic change, it's going to be rewarding regardless of like where you end up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really thinking, so I've been seeing some, some like research related government jobs, um, that have gotten me pretty energized about the prospect of doing research that actually is going to have a really direct impact because that's something that's so frustrating. It's like you do research, it takes a couple years to do the research and then you have to write a paper write up the paper and then you submit it to a journal and then it might take a couple more years to get it published. And then it's like, it's so like such a delayed response. And then even there's a handful of people that maybe are going to read 
it. And there doesn't, there's not like a really rewarding outcome other than keeping your job <laughs> and adding something to your resume. Um, unless you're like a really famous researcher and everybody reads your work, which I am not. So I'm excited about the, the possibility of having a more impactful career. And I think if you do continue to teach, it's all the more valuable because you'll have that perspective that, mm -hmm. and those connections that can help students even further. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so slightly more fun. We have a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, if you had a reality show about your life, what would it be called and why? Um, so the funny thing about this is that I totally just ignored this question when you sent it to me and you're in like the, the pre-question thing. I'm like, ah, eh, I don't want to answer that. I'll just not even think about it. And I totally forgot you even sent me that. Um, so if I had a reality TV show, what would it be called? Yes. About your yeah. life. About my life. Oh gosh. Um, the weird plant lady. I don't know. <laughs> weird plant lady. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. So you, have, <laughs> you have a plant obsession? I do. I have... I, so since we've been, when, when St. Thomas announced that we were going to be all online for the rest of the semester, I did a little rescue mission and I went on campus and brought all my office plants home and I had to go buy another bookcase yesterday. Well, I also brought all my books home. I had to go buy another bookcase yesterday because I don't have any surfaces to put the books or the plants on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a little out of control. <laughs> It's an intriguing title. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I would watch it. Yeah. Um, do you, do you want to promote your Instagram? Um, so I have an Instagram where you can see you said books and plants and also some shots of food that I cook. Um, and the Instagram is food.plants.books. <laughs> I think. Uh, is that what it is? I think we'll so. post it in the show notes regardless. <laughs> yeah, we'll link it so everyone can follow your food, plants, and books, which what else do you need? Yeah, especially in the quarantine life. <laughs> I know. Maybe wine. Yeah, it's like a little jungle in the, in the house here. And yeah, I've been reading Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I don't know what took me so long, but it's amazing and I'm almost done. What? I've only read just like the, the seven Harry Potter books. Is that... Yeah, so it's like a sequel-ish, and it has, like, um, the main characters, like, kids are now in oh, Hogwarts. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And then next, next I'll probably start the, the April Book Club book. I started it last night. It's already good. Is it? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why are you? I didn't read the, the March one. We... Yeah, we had our in our virtual book club, and out of the eight people that were on, only three finished it. I started it, and I was like, I can't get into this. And then, like, then all the quarantine stuff started, and everything. I'm mm -hmm. like, I just can't. I think I only started. I only gave myself a week to read it, oh, yeah. and I just didn't. I time. well, if it makes you feel better, I did finish it, but I felt the same way. Like, I couldn't get into it the whole. The whole time. Okay. Yeah, Leah and I, Leah and I Skyped last night. 
I was like, is it worth it to like finish it or do I just give up? Cause like I did eventually finish the Diane Downs one. I think it took me like three months to finally get through it, but I got through it. It was worth it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think I might just move on. There's so many books out there. Like why force yourself to read something you don't feel like reading? That's true. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks Angie for um, coming on the floral couch. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. And we appreciate you sharing your story with all of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking about it. And hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully I can see you guys in real life sometime. (laughs) I know. We hope so. May book club. (laughs) Oh, I know. May book club. I know. I was like, I was talking to Leah today. Like, can, when's going to be our next in-person book club? I'll have to see. Hopefully May. Yes. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Floral Couch Conversations. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Floral Couch Conversations. If you want to reach us, you have a question or a suggestion, or you just want to say hi, uh, floralcouchconversations at gmail.com. And you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review and tell everyone